0: Good morning, welcome to Infinite Coffee with Michael and Deanne Goss. Thank you for joining us as we explore our infinite nature and gain practical understanding of how to utilize more of our infinite potential. We have our coffee, have a great book, and now we have you. Today we are continuing The Creative Process in The Individual by Thomas Troward. We're still in chapter three, The Divine Ideal. Now last time, Troward introduced the idea that spirit can only act affirmatively, meaning it can only produce life, love, and beauty. However, when we think and act in a manner that opposes those things, it appears as though spirit is acting against us, when in reality, we are opposing it. Let's get further into this. So I'll go back and pick up the last couple of paragraphs and then we'll continue on. Of course, if we act negatively then, Since the spirit is always acting affirmatively, we are moving in the opposite direction to it. And consequently, so long as we regard our negative action as being affirmative, the spirit's action must appear to us negative. And thus it is that all the negative conditions of the world have their root in negative or inverted thought. But the more we bring our thought into harmony with the life, love and beauty which the spirit is, the less these inverted conditions will obtain, until at last they will be eliminated altogether. To accomplish this is our great object, for though the progress may be slow, it will be steady if we proceed on a definite principle, and to lay hold of the true principle is the purpose of our studies. And the principle to lay hold of is the ceaseless creativeness of spirit. This is what we mean when we speak of it as the spirit of the affirmative. And I would ask my readers to impress this term upon their minds. Once grant that the all originating spirit is thus the spirit of the pure affirmative, and we shall find that this will lead us logically to results of the highest value. If, then, we keep this perpetual and progressive creativeness of the spirit continually in mind, we may rely upon its working as surely in ourselves as in that great cosmic forward movement, which we speak of as evolution. It is the same power of evolution working within ourselves, only with this difference, that in proportion as we come to realize its nature, we find ourselves able to facilitate its progress by offering more and more favorable conditions for its working. We do not add to the force of the power, for we are products of it, and so cannot generate what generates us, but by providing suitable conditions, we can more and more highly specialize it. This is the method of all the advance that has ever been made. We never create any force, like electricity. But we provide special conditions under which the force manifests itself in a variety of useful and beautiful ways. Unsuspected possibilities which lay hidden in the power until brought to light by the cooperation of the personal factor. Now, it is precisely the introduction of this personal factor that concerns us. Because to all eternity, we can only recognize things from our own center of consciousness whether in this world or in any other. Therefore, the practical question is how to specialize, in our own case, the generic originating life, which we give it a name, we call the spirit. The method of doing this is perfectly logical when once we see that the principle involved is that of the self-recognition of spirit. We have traced the modus operandi of the creative process sufficiently far To see that the existence of the cosmos is the result of the spirit's seeing itself in the cosmos. And if this be the law of the whole, it must also be the law of the part. But there is this difference. That so long as the normal average relation of particles is maintained, the whole continues to subsist. No matter what position any particular particle may go into, just as a fountain continues to exist no matter whether any particular drop of water is down in the basin or at the top of the jet. This is the generic action which keeps the race going as a whole. But the question is, what is going to become of ourselves? Then, because the law of the whole is also the law of the part, we may at once say that what is wanted is for the spirit to see itself in us. In other words, to find in us the reciprocal which, as we have seen, is necessary to its enjoyment of a certain quality of consciousness. Now, the fundamental consciousness of the spirit must be that of self-sustaining life. And for the full enjoyment of this consciousness, there must be a corresponding individual consciousness reciprocating it, and on the part of the individual such a consciousness can only arise from the recognition that his own life is identical with that of the spirit. Not something sent forth to wander away by itself, but something included in and forming part of the greater life. Then, by the very conditions of the case, such a contemplation on the part of the individual is nothing else than the spirit contemplating itself from the standpoint of the individual consciousness and thus fulfilling the law of the creative process under such specialized conditions as must logically result in the perpetuation of the individual life. It is the law of the cosmic creative process transferred to the individual. This, it seems to me, is the divine ideal, that of an individuality which recognizes its source and recognizes also the method by which it springs from that source and which is therefore able to open up in itself a channel by which that source can flow in uninterruptedly with the result that from the moment of this recognition, the individual lives directly from the originating life as being himself a special direct creation and not merely as being a member of a generic race. The individual who has reached this stage of recognition thus finds a principle of enduring life within himself. So then the next question is, in what way is this principle likely to manifest itself? So here, as we complete out this, this particular um, chapter, he's basically summarizing and taking us once again to the bottom line of the divine ideal being that of an individuality that recognizes its source. That's you and me recognizing that God is indeed our source. And if God is our source, and since God is our source, he's the source of our life. That the actual flow of power flows from, from God. And we do nothing to create any power. So this idea that man is powerful is kind of a misnomer. It would appear that way because we can use the power, right? But it's not our power. We do not generate any power. All we can do is specialize or make it, use it in a manner in which we want, so to speak. But we don't create the power. We don't make the power happen. We can only use it. And as, as he says, specialize it. So we not only recognize the source, that God is the source, Spirit is the source, we also recognize the method by which we flow, or which we come from that source, why we're actually even here. And it goes back to the self-contemplation of Spirit from the last chapter, or as some would say from Genesis chapter 1, where God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So what... Troward is saying is that, in a sense, what God did is he contemplated himself as having an, an outward expression. That would be us. And so the first step in this process is we have to recognize that there is a God and that God is the source. Okay. Now that we've done that, now we also recognize the methodology that God uses to create us. And once we've done that and we realize that we are God's reciprocal, we are his counterpart, his physical manifestation. We are literally the word that has become flesh. Once we recognize that, now we're allowing His power to, to flow into us and through us, potentially. And once we get to that recognition and then have the boldness to actually step out and begin to use that power. To begin to specialize. And what we mean by specializing it, using it for a specific purpose. Because the power in a sense, is just the power. It's, it's not until we choose to use it in a specific way that it becomes a specific power to us. Much like, and he would use the example of electricity. The electricity is the electricity. It's what we plug into it that determines what it's used for. And that's ultimately what Troward is saying even about us. We can use the power, the creative force, the creative process... For virtually anything, as long as it produces life, love, and beauty. If it does those three things, as the Bible would say, against such, there is no law. There's no law against that. If when we work in that direction, that is the spirit working affirmatively, meaning the spirit can only be used and it can only produce life. And when it does anything that appears to produce something other than life, it's only when we Are operating in a manner that is inverted or counter to that affirmative positive action so we can in a sense turn the power against us but it's really not the power that's turned against us it's us that turn against that power we operate in opposition to the power so it feels and looks like God is opposing us and God is doing something to us but when in reality we're doing it all to ourselves And so the good news is, is just like we did it to ourselves, we can undo it by stopping that way of thinking. That flow of power in life ultimately can and should flow uninterruptedly. The only thing that can get in the way and cut off the flow ultimately is us, our thinking, our belief system getting in the way of this uninterrupted flow of life. Because once we recognize this and we understand that everything that we are Everything that we have, everything that we will ever be, flows directly from the originating life. It doesn't come from the outside. It always flows from within. And that makes us a special, direct creation, and not just one of 7 or 8 billion or however many there's been on the planet from the beginning. You know, Random, would you say, abstract random? We're not just abstract randoms. We are... A direct, special, direct creation. And once we come to that recognition, now it does become individualized. Now it becomes a personal relationship with the creator himself, with God himself. And we're the co-creator. We specialize it. Yeah,
1: he made a statement that, yeah, reread that sentence where it says, where it talks about where man isn't being sent away to go be by himself,
0: well, like is, is normal, this is a Troward sentence, so it's actually a paragraph. Okay. It says, now, the fundamental consciousness of the spirit must be that of self-sustaining life. And for the full enjoyment of this consciousness, there must be a corresponding individual consciousness reciprocating it. And on the part of this individual, such a consciousness can only arise from the recognition that his own life is identical with that of the Spirit, not something sent forth to wander away by itself, but something included in and forming part of the greater life.
1: Yeah, when, when you read that, I've thought of a few instances in the Bible. You know, there's the prodigal son, and yep. there have been yep. many, <laughs> many religious teachings on that. Um, but I, it just reminded me of the picture of, in that particular story, Man does, the son does, just go away to do his own thing. And there seems to be a um, way of thinking. It's a duality way of thinking that God is against man. And man's out here, has to do his own thing and make his own way. He was kicked out of the garden, and he has to toil and live a hard life. So when you read that, that just reinforces god is not against us god is for us and we are the ones man is the one who wanders off it wasn't created that this entire system was not created for us to be disconnected and the thing is we aren't disconnected and he does trower does a really good job of explaining how we aren't disconnected it's impossible otherwise this whole thing would fall apart
0: no, you're right about that because the, um, the idea that, well, first off, because we are made of spirit, it's impossible for us to not be connected to the spirit with which we were created. And he talks about that, that the law of the whole is the law of the part, meaning that since I flow from God— that whatever is the law for God is the law for me. And of course, God created those laws. But at the end of that, what that ultimately means is that everything that flowed from God is subject to all, to those same principles and to those same rules, if you will. So in this process of being disconnected, the thought is, is well, we were, in effect, kicked out of this place of close connection and companionship with with the Father, with God, with Spirit. But in that, the reason, if you want to go get kind of in the weeds about that, the reason that they were, quote, kicked out is because of their lack of recognition of their relationship to the Father. Exactly. Which is the same thing that you're talking about with the prodigal son. There's two sons, not just what we call the prodigal son. That's the one that gets the, all the attention. But there were two. There was one that stayed and one that continued on. And neither one of those sons understood rightly the relationship with their father neither one recognized what their part of this was talk about your duality there's dual there is a dual lesson in that the one that left and went and did his own thing so to speak that the father was never against him at any point gave him whatever he wanted when he came back it was as if he never left didn't hold any of that against him which obviously royally ticked off brother number two Because he's like, you know, you're bending over backwards for this guy. Look it, I've been busting my tail being your servant. Once again, he wasn't acting like a son either. Neither one of those guys acted appropriately. So in effect, the father, who represented God in this case, got onto both of them and said, you're both wrong. Everything that I have is yours, and it's always been yours. That was the the mistake that he had made. He could have had a party any time he wanted. He was the son of the father. They were both the sons of the father. And there's other scripture that talks about the fact that God will never leave nor forsake you, even to the ends of the earth. Well, when does that occur? Well, the only way that it becomes a benefit to me is when I recognize it. Number one, that's the most important part of it. I have to recognize it. He's always there. The power is always available. The spirit is always there. It's just waiting for me to, A, recognize it, and then, B, connect to it and do something about it. And that's what you'll also see in the uh, parables of the talents. You'll see that. That it's not so important what they did. What's important is that they did something with what they were given. That was the most important part is to take it and make use of it. Because if you'll notice... And no discussion of that was there a breakdown And well, this is what this guy did with his opportunities. This is what this guy did, other than the fact that they just did something with it. And so that's where I, I think we are in this process with, with Troward, is the fact that there is, as you're pointing out, there is no duality of spirit. And that's, I think, one of the things that you're talking about that's, so misunderstood is that there is this idea in the religious world that there is a duality that there are two spiritual forces out there and they're competing with each other and we're a pawn so to speak a little bit in that game and the more advanced spiritual people say well we're not just a pawn in the game we're more of a a knight or a a rook or we're a we're a more functioning or a higher functioning piece in the game. At the end of the day, the game is being played beyond us. There's two parties play in this game, and we're not one of those parties. We're either a part of God beating the devil, or we're being beat up by the devil because we're gods. That's kind of the, the belief system.
1: Yeah, and I think Trower does a great job of explaining – Being beat up by the devil is our misunderstanding of how the power works. It seems as if we're being beat up, and it's really man going against the power. It's an inverted way of thinking, because that's not how the power is designed.
0: So how do we make better use of that information?
1: You said it before. First of all, you have to recognize it. It's the first thing. When I first learned about this and started reading, it it makes more sense to me that it's the misuse or misunderstanding of source, of spirit, of God, and how it works in us. So it's recognizing it is the first step. Understanding this is the first step.
0: How do I get out of the habit, or maybe that's habit, maybe the right word, or how do I avoid getting in the way? For instance... If it comes back to belief system, then the thing that's going to get in the way is my belief system.
1: You must unlearn what you have learned. <laughs> it's a process of unlearning, and we've discussed this before. It's one of the hardest things to do because we sit, I sit, with my own thoughts. You don't hear my thoughts. Only I hear my thoughts.
0: Can you imagine? I saw a clip the other day of the uh, Mel Gibson movie, yeah. What Women Want. And there's another version of what men want. I can only imagine that. Hearing hurt.
1: everyone's thoughts. Yeah. I mean.
0: Yeah. If I lived in your head or if you lived in one, goodness gracious. What are the odds we'd still be together?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it is one of, it is a very difficult. No, I'm, no, I'm serious. What are the odds? <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Who was it that says that? Is it Waddles that says one of the hardest things to do?
0: One of the most difficult things to do is continuous, sustained thought. And what that means is to be able to look. He said it this way, to look upon the appearance of poverty will create a corresponding form in the mind that observes it. And the only way to avoid this is to hold to the thought of the truth that there is no poverty, there is only abundance. So to look upon the appearance of poverty, or to look upon the appearance of disease, or to look on the appearance of lack, or fill in the blank, with whatever the condition is that doesn't support the truth truth and to maintain and hold on to the thought of the truth requires more power than most people are ever called upon to utilize. It's the hardest work that there is that of thinking truth when appearance is contrary to that. And a lot of people look at that and go, well, the, how can you look at the condition and not acknowledge that condition is real? And it's not that there is a lack of acknowledgement of the reality of the condition. The recognition is, though, is that condition is the result of inverted thinking. Okay, that's what Troward is talking exactly. about. And that if that condition is the result of inverted thinking, then the solution is not found by continuing to think the thoughts suggested by that appearance. Rather, it's to begin to think the thoughts of the truth and allow those truthful thoughts to ultimately alter, change, eradicate the condition. Exactly. So that's nice and easy.
1: <laughs> easier said than done.
0: Much, much easier. So, so how do you do that? Go take me into the battle that's inside in the mind. I mean, what, what, what does that battle look like?
1: One of the first things I do is look for scripture That supports my truth. The truth that I'm looking to replace the thoughts that are not truth. And then I continuously run that scripture, those words, through my head. And sometimes it has to be said out loud over and over and over. Does that work? Yes, it does work. And and I have to admit that it takes time. So just doing it for a few minutes or a couple of days for me personally doesn't automatically switch those thoughts because of the experience or um, because of my experience or past results that has actually happened to me I have to overcome what, have I, what I have experienced by thinking above that.
0: And so that reminds me of the, the scripture, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So basically what I think, <clears throat> this is what is called truth therapy in the psychological world. Now typically it's, not, it's used at a lower level for mo, in most cases, for people that are struggling with identity challenges or they're having low self-esteem and just problems, they call it truth therapy because, in a, in a sense, you take the identify the lie and you replace it with the truth. And the thought is, well, that's a one-time process. But it is not. It is a long-term, ongoing process. Because a lot of times I don't think we recognize and realize just how deep some of the roots Of these ideas are some of the roots of these ideas predate us on the planet meaning they are passed down from generation to generation in a sense so some of these ideas and these thoughts and these ways of just being were given to us by our ancestors by our parents and our grandparents and so on, and so some of that it takes a long time to eradicate. Um, and it may not, you know, it's possible that it doesn't ever get completely eradicated in the individual. It can get, it can be like dramatically? It's kind of like I don't, I don't know if you've ever, if, if anybody's ever had the opportunity to um, have a flower bed or some sort of place where we're growing something that. We like, you know, flowers or certain plants. It doesn't seem to matter how diligent that I am in pulling the weeds, killing the weeds, whatever. They're still somewhere in the ground beneath there. I have not truly gotten to the source of those weeds because they keep coming back or new ones keep coming. So they're coming from somewhere in that regard. And so when it comes to thinking, the weeds are always there. We have to continually work to kill those little weeds. And the society around us, everything that we interact with, virtually all of it is geared towards that lower inverted way of thinking. It just is. And that's just the way it is. And if we want to live and rise above that, then we have to be diligent always to keep the The garden of our soul, the garden of our mind as clean and as
1: weedless, weedless as possible,
0: weed free as possible. And uh, it takes work. It does. It does take work. And one of the best things for for me is what we're doing right now. This is probably one of the best things is
1: definitely it's a reinforcement.
0: Yeah. And so a
1: daily, daily reminder, a daily reinforcement. Who we are and how we fit into this picture. And the more that I personally listen to this, the, more, the stronger it gets. So you're right, every, doing this every day and thinking about truth like this every day definitely helps me personally keep the weeds out, if you will. This is our third,
0: third episode talking about this one chapter. It to me is one of the, I mean, they're all really important and strong, but this one is maybe the most important one of all of the books or all of the chapters in this particular book is the divine ideal is to recognize what the purpose of this, because our purpose flows from it.
1: I think it's amazing and awesome how this, this chapter and how he lays this out, that God is our source. We, we are connected to source, AKA God spirit, but we are connected to source. And so everything that we need is in source. Just like we were saying before, just like electricity all we have to do is plug in all we have to do quote unquote
0: <laughs> Well and it is and it is simply is, it is it's
1: very it is simple
0: Just believe just believe. I mean you think about there's another and I think it's it's later on when it refers to the kind of faith that we need and that is we need childlike faith and we've got kids they, for the most part of their life, whenever we said something, they just believed it. We didn't have any reason not to. And are we willing to be, just believe no matter what the circumstances look like? Are we willing to just take it on faith and just believe and trust that we are taken care of, that that power is working, it is working on our behalf, and it will always be there to take care of us no matter what the circumstance? But That's the question, and that's That becomes our part of the equation. We just have to believe it. And so next time we're going to be jumping into chapter four, which is the manifestation of the life principle. I want to thank you again for joining us here on Infinite Coffee. We'll see you next time.